A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. There are many approaches to measuring soil health, all with different advantages and limitations. No matter what approach is chosen, one thing remains the same. Farmers care about the land. I'm Charity Seebecker with the Midwest Farm Report. Jamie Patton, Outreach Specialist for the UW Nutrient and Pest Management Program, says different soil health tests can be used for different results, depending on what you're looking to test. It is important to know which test best fits your farm management practices. There's many ways to get at measuring soil health. So oftentimes when I'm talking with farmers, I talk about just using our senses. So when we get out in the field, taking a shovel, digging a a scoopful, you know, looking, do we have that soil aggregation? Do we have the earthworms? Do we see roots growing straight down? How does it feel? Does it break apart easily? How does it smell? I mean, most people don't go out and take a big whiff, but does it smell like soil should be? But really just observing how that soil interacts with rainfall events. How does it interact with our planting opportunities and harvest opportunities. But a lot of people like to put numbers to that. So when we get to soil health testing, there's lots of comprehensive analyses out there. So looking at things such as CASH, which is the Cornell Comprehensive Assessment of Soil Health, the Haney test, or picking a la carte from any of our soil testing labs, looking at things such as aggregate stability and respiration and carbon. So there's many, many different ways to get at this. What I tell farmers is, what is your goal with testing? And look at that goal very strategically and identify those properties that we want to measure that relate to that goal and then move forward from there. When it comes to measuring your soil health, what are the limitations? I know earlier we were talking there's a few of them with testing maturity, human tendencies, soil variability. Can you touch a little bit on those and then how do you minimize the impact of them? So when we look at soil health testing, first thing we have to recognize is that Wisconsin itself, when we look at the soils across the state, are highly variable. But even within a single field, those soils are highly variable. So we have to be very specific as to where we're pulling those tests, particularly if we're wanting to monitor soil health over time. We want to come back to that same spot every year, every three years, every five years, whatever we decide our sampling scheme is, and resample that soil so that we really do get a true gauge of what is changing with our management practices. So really thinking about sampling and sampling location and field variability. We also need to understand that soil health is still developing. So I know it doesn't sound like like 30 years, right? 30 years doesn't seem like an immature science, but it still is developing over time. And so we're getting better at interpreting these analyses. And so what we really need right now is for many of these soil properties that we've talked about, really developing Wisconsin-centric interpretations. What does that number mean in Wisconsin in the central stance? What does that number mean in Wisconsin in the driftless area? And really starting to define those changes based upon soil variability, climate variability, geographic and geological variability across the state. And so just understanding that maturity level of the science so far, and therefore don't use our human tendencies. We always talk about and that's where when I give a person a number, they associate all sorts of meaning with that number. And we're just not there yet. Like I mentioned, we don't have that interpretation for different regions of Wisconsin. So although the soil tests provide us a number, we don't necessarily know what that number means. What are the most common soil tests? I know you mentioned a few of them earlier, but how do you go about choosing which one is best for you, as well as then what do they measure and why is it important 
to measure in the first place. So it all goes back to, again, what is your goal of measuring soil health? What are you trying to document? So what changes are you trying to document over time as you change your management practices? And that's going to define what soil test we're going to use or what suite of soil tests we're going to be using. We have these comprehensive analyses where we're going to combine some of these biological, chemical, and physical properties into a, a singular test. Otherwise, many labs will do these a la carte menus. And right now, the paper from the Soil Health Institute that came out this year. The Soil Health Institute looked at soils across the United States and looked at, at different indicators. I think it was 20 or 30 different indicators, and they narrowed it down to three in particular that they find have potential value at this point in time, and that is organic carbon, so measuring how much carbon is being stored into the soil, respiration, so how is our microbial population, how active is it at any given point in time, and aggregate stability, so whether or not those soil aggregates, those soil peds, are were they able to withstand a wetting and drying cycle. So if we had to choose three, those are the ones that the Soil Health Institute are starting to focus in on. But again, those comprehensive tests also provide us a suite of various analyses that we can use to measure soil health over time. How do you properly collect these samples, but then also handle them to turn them in? This is where understanding variability within a field is really important. So looking at your soil map and working with your agronomist or the NRCS folks in a county or your extension folks in a county to really understand what the variability is that field is, and then identifying a sampling location, particularly if I'm looking at relative differences in a particular field over time, is it identifying that singular spot in the field, GPSing it so I can come back next year or three years or five years later, whatever I determine my sampling scheme is, I can come back to that location and then go within about a 20 to 30 foot circle around there taking my composite samples. A really nice publication out of Purdue University that looked at how to interpret soil health tests and how to use them. Their recommendation was to sample four inch depth to sample in between the rows, so that mid row so that we're not getting that interference with the biological activity in the root system. Plus we're not sampling and it may be a bandit or starter fertilizer. Sampling after those microbes become active. So maybe at that pre-side dress time. So we're looking at that V4 to V6 point in time, but always sampling at, at the singular point in a rotation. So if I start sampling in corn, making sure the next time I come back in, it's corn again, but really being consistent with that sampling so that the environmental conditions that I'm sampling in are repeated when I come back to take that soil test again. And of course, pull that soil sample when it's moist. So we don't want it too dry. We don't want it too wet because we're looking at microbial activity. And then really working and understanding how the laboratory wants us to handle that sample. Sometimes when we're looking at some of the microbial analyses, we'll have to freeze that sample or refrigerate that sample. We may need to send it overnight to the lab. While when we're looking at some chemical analyses, maybe we can just air dry it and send it regular mail. But we really need to understand what the lab wants us to do in order to get the best answers. How can you use the results that you get to evaluate the impact of your farm's management practices? This is where it's really looking at relative and the value of a soil health test in particular. You know, if I'm a person who's starting cover crops new this year, taking that baseline soil sample right before I do cover crops this year and getting that soil health test. And then as I continue down that road of using cover crops in my rotation, coming back three or five years later and taking that exact same test from that exact same soil, sending it to the exact same lab and looking at the results and seeing have I improved and if the improvements are there then I'm on the right track if I don't see as much of improvement or I'm actually going in reverse then we need to reconsider my management practices and maybe add another practice or change my practice so on or so forth so it helps us make those management decisions over the long term so when we look at soil health like I said people are really excited to put numbers to it the focus really for me is looking at that relative differences is not worrying about how my soil test compares to the neighbors because 
his or her soils may be completely different than mine. Really focusing on how are my management practices impacting my soil and how what can I do better on my practice. So really being self-centered, right? Focusing on myself, focusing on my management practices and working with those technical service providers to help me select those soil tests that are going to best answer my questions. That was Jamie Patton, Outreach Specialist for the UW Nutrient and Pest Management Program. To learn more about making a soil health difference, go to cias.wisc.edu. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker.